the Psalm 98, the first six verses. Again, let's follow along. Let's listen to what God has to say to us today in a very powerful way. That's Psalm 98, verses 1 through 6. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the end of the earth have seen the salvation of our Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpet and the blast of the ram horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so this is a praise song, and we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're also going to do something called layering. I'm going to each have you sing different parts, and uh, if you take the direction. So, so everybody on this side, you're the in-group. Okay. Everybody on this side, you're, you're the out group. So the part that the in group sings is very simple. The reason for that is the in group itself, well, you get the idea. So I'll sing it through once and then ask you to join me. I'm sure you know this, this tune. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, rock of my soul. In group, sing it with me. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, rock of my soul. Okay, you got it. So the out group always sings better than the in group. So uh, the out group, here you go. Here's your part. So high, I can't get over it. So low, I can't get under it. So wide, I can't get round it. Oh, rock my soul. Okay, out group, sing it. So Ready? Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. Oh, rock my soul. The other part just as softly. the choir members up here to do a little wassailing part. It's a pretty simple one. They're going to go, rock my soul, rock my soul, rock my soul, rock my soul. Okay, so they got that part. So now, 
we're going to start. You're going to sing your part. Rock my soul in the bosom of You're going to sing so high. They're going to do the wassailing. Okay, here we go. Ready? Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham's soul. so much fun in a long time. Thank you for that. Um, my name is Chris uh, Lenecker, and I'm uh, just real honored to be able to be in your midst and praying for Randy and his recovery and his uh, ability to be back among you. Randy's a good friend for many, many years. Um, wanted to talk about um, kind of what, is, what does it mean when we find ourselves in a situation where we're living out our life in a place that may or may not share our belief system, our culture, our values. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what happened to the uh, people in Jeremiah's day that were taken out of Jerusalem and put into exile in Babylon. Um, the people had spent their entire lives, generation after generation after generation, going to the temple to worship the Almighty God. They had a community that was centered on that temple, its teachings, its community, its, its way of, of living together in community. But at the point at which Babylon came and invaded Israel, they were carried off and put in a different context, a, a different culture, a culture that did not necessarily agree with them. They were welcoming of them as refugees, exiles within their community. But they found themselves um, trying to live out their life in faith in a place that was not very welcoming. 
and oftentimes would be putting pressure on them. Some of you may know the story of Jeremiah. He was a contemporary, just a little bit uh, younger than Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet that prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, the, the eight tribes that were part of that community. Jeremiah prophesied to the southern kingdom, which primarily was Judah, along with a little strip of land that was Benjamin. That was kind of the buffer there. And so at the point where the, Israel, the people from Israel, the northern kingdom, were carried off and, and basically disappeared from history at that point, the Assyrian army came in and just destroyed everything, carried all the people away. Jeremiah in the southern kingdom was offering some of the similar things to uh, the people of Jerusalem and wanting very much for them in this time of great pressure when great powers were on their borders, uh, the possibility of them holding off those armies uh, not looking good, was wanting them to trust in God. Because God, as you know, in the, in the past, had stood beside them in these conflicts and helped outnumbered soldiers win battles because they trusted in God. But the people and the leaders of, of uh, Judah were of conflicting opinions about how to go about this. And one of the things that they did is they looked around at other nations and looked at how they tried to survive in situations like this. And they wanted to appease uh, the powers that were kind of knocking on their door. But that didn't work because they kept forcing the issue. Um, while Jeremiah was prophesying uh, to the leaders of Jerusalem, uh, those leaders were sending envoys down to Egypt thinking that if they could buy themselves into an alliance with Egypt, and Egypt then would come and protect them from Babylon. And so, they, man, they just shipped all kinds of stuff. I mean, gold and animals and people down to give to Egypt in order for them to be aligned with them and somehow keep Babylon at bay. But we know that didn't work. Uh, Jeremiah ended up under house arrest. He was vilified for speaking the word of God in the midst of all of the negotiations that were going on that left God out of the conversation. And so uh, at some point after the conquest of much of their land, many of the people going away, Jeremiah, still in Jerusalem, writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon. And I'd like to read just a few of the um, verses that come from that text. So I invite you to listen for God's word to you today out of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, 
you too will prosper. Which is kind of an interesting thing. I, I think that um, oftentimes when we think of the exiles, we, we kind of hear in the back of our mind them singing songs uh, among the reeds and, and crying out to God to be released. And, and Jeremiah has a different word for them. Don't leave. Don't weep. Build houses. Build families. Increase. Become stronger. And while you're doing that, Make sure that you benefit the community in which I have placed you, though it may be in exile, but I have placed you, so that you then can prosper as well. So I'm thinking that as we kind of grapple with where are we, where has God placed us, which sometimes might feel a little bit like we're in exile because our, our society and our culture oftentimes has turned their back on God. They have gone a different way. And sometimes we feel we might be kind of isolated. The difficulty with being in, in exile is sometimes those who are in exile start feeling sorry for themselves and actually feeling rather superior about themselves that while everybody else is headed the wrong way, aren't we doing good? So, I, you know, I don't want us to think that uh, because we're in exile and we're hanging in there that that were something special. We're just trying to be faithful. I heard a speaker take this text and kind of condense it into a phrase called bloom where you're planted. Just bloom where you're planted. Bring beauty into that context so that you have an opportunity to prosper the community in which you live so that it will come to know a little bit about what the kingdom looks like. As followers of Jesus Christ, we all are given gifts. You probably remember very vividly, and I'll read that in a bit, the, the text within both Romans 12 and, and uh, 1 Corinthians 12 about each of us having a gift based upon the grace given to us. So each of us has been given a gift to give. I don't know what your gift is to give. I think part of the Christian journey is to discover why it is that God has placed us in these circumstances. Why, why do I live here? Why am I part of this community? What is it that God wants of me? There's a big, um, I don't want to call it necessarily a movement, but pretty big conversation within the Christian community throughout North America, not so much Europe, about vocation and faith, about vocation and faith. And um, the, the, the Latin word for vocation is vocatio, and it, it's translated as call. You all kind of said, okay, what's God calling me to do? What is God calling me to be? Who am I in the midst of the community as a follower of Jesus Christ? And that sense of call is so critical because if we don't feel called we usually don't really pay much attention. And I think that God tries all the time to get our attention to help us understand what our faith vocation is all about. Um, I was talking with some friends the other day who uh, used to attend a church in uh, Atlantic City, or Atlanta, Georgia, and um, it's called the Peachtree Presbyterian Church. 
And they are a very large church, and they're kind of struggling with how do they impact Atlanta. You know, Atlanta's gone through lots of struggles as a city, trying to identify itself and gambling and everything else taking place and trying to say, you know, who are we as a community? And so they uh, started interviewing their congregants and rather large church and kind of asking, how much time do you spend at church? Now, I imagine that if I were to ask you, you'd probably, you know, scroll through, okay, I do this, I do that, and I spend this much time, and I give of myself. And they determined for their folk that about 5% of a person's life was spent in their church, and the other 95 outside the boundary of the church. So they started a program called My 95, and essentially what it was was an attempt to help people hear what their calling was in life, the gifts that God had given them to follow Christ outside the walls of the church in the 95% of their life. Interesting question, right? So as we think about where we spend the rest of our life and what it is that God is calling us to do, we have uh, this great opportunity to say, okay, if I'm at work, what would it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ at work? What would that mean? What would that look like? Would that change the culture of that place of business? Would it change? Think about what you do and where you live out the greatest hours of your life. And would that shift if all of it was spent following Jesus Christ in that context. I'm sure that many of you probably know people within the business community who are, are great followers of Jesus Christ, and, and you can see the impact. But what about standing in line at the grocery store? That takes time, <laughs> more time than not sometimes. What would it look like, feel like, um, to follow Christ in the grocery store line? What would it feel like to follow Jesus Christ when you're cut off on the freeway? You know? I mean, all of these opportunities that are placed before us to respond to the call of God on our life and to live in a way that would reflect God's kingdom. It's all around us. God has planted us in this place so that we can reflect the kingdom of God in all that we do. Do we do that all the time? Not me. <laughs> I, I know I don't. But that doesn't mean that God gives up on me. God continues to try to help me become who God created me to be, the, the tasks that God has gifted me to do, and hopefully keep me away from the ones that I shouldn't be doing and I'm not gifted to do. I want to tell a story on my uh, father-in-law. He, he died uh, in May of, of 2015. His name was George. And um, he, uh, he was a, a very, very active in the church. I mean, he was on general assembly committees, synod committees, presbytery committees, elder forever kind of guy, uh, civil engineer, articulate, soft-spoken, but always had uh, a word of wisdom 
to offer. And one of the words was this little story. When he was at, um, he's a Lobo, University of New Mexico, grew up in Albuquerque, and he was going to engineering school there. And they had a rally. Um, I don't know if it was surround, uh, uh, put together around Bill Bright or Billy Graham, or, but they, they had a revival in their stadium, and all the students were invited. Um, he was very active in the youth group and the college group at, at First Press Albuquerque. So he was there along with a whole bunch of his uh, fraternity brothers and, and friends. And at the end of the presentation, as is want of these particular gatherings, they said, you know, we really would like to pray for you, all of you planning on entering the ministry and becoming pastors, please come down so that we can lay hands on you and pray for you. So some people get up and they go down, and you've seen this before. And they said, anybody wanting to be a missionary and, and planning on giving their life to going overseas and proclaiming the gospel, come down, we want to pray for you. And people get up, and you know they keep going, they're Christian educators, and, and finally the list stopped, and, and my father-in-law looked around and found out that he was still sitting up in the stands. And he thought, can I not be a Christian because I want to be a civil engineer? And I'm thinking that so often people have a tendency to kind of split the secular and the sacred and don't see where those two meet. He was a civil engineer in Long Beach and uh, city manager for a while and, and um, knew every single hole and pipe in the entire city. Um, but he never took on a project either with the city or with later in his career with an engineering firm that he couldn't tell himself that when the project was done, the community, community would be a better place. It would be safer. It would be more efficient. It would be more beautiful. I mean, he was the lead, lead engineer, civil engineer on uh, the aquarium that they built in Long Beach. Beautiful, beautiful place. He was asked to do a couple other projects, one for the Y, and he turned it down because he says, this is a bad project. When we're all done with this, we're going to be separating communities that need to be together and have easy access to one another. I'm sorry, I can't do that. Didn't make his bosses very happy. But there was this sense in him that, that God had placed him in the world to be a civil engineer. And I wonder how many others feel that um, their individual vocation, whether it be something that... Uh, you get paid for or you don't get paid for, can become part of that benefiting, flourishing, thriving the community in which you are placed. That's such a powerful, powerful call on our lives. And I think each of us have the opportunity, wherever we are, to be able to live in a way that reflects Jesus Christ in the world. And that can be a powerful gift, especially when you think about 95% of our time is spent in that space. I'm not saying don't come to church. We need the 5% to get fueled up and, and get refocused and invited into our faith in powerful ways. We hear the voice of the Holy Spirit binding us together as we worship and as we lift our voices to God in praise. But there's so much that God can do through each of us Every day, 
If we but trust that God is with us in the midst of all the opportunities and interactions with others and end up getting reflected in how we live. I think it was um, St. Francis of Assisi, and I, I probably don't have the quote correct, but he, he said, preach the gospel always and sometimes use words. Okay? Think about that. Preach the gospel always and sometimes use words. There's a guy named Oz Guinness. Uh, he wrote, I think, one of the best books on call, and it's called The Call. Um, and, and he said, you know, all of us have multiple calls, but there's only one primary call, and that's our la- relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the calling and the relationship that defines everything else in our life. And he says, we have secondary calls, obviously, being a good spouse, being a good parent, hopefully being a good child, being a good civil engineer, being a great mom, being a great caregiver and lover of others. These are all important calls, but they're all under the primary call, which is our relationship with Jesus Christ. So as you spend these weeks and months processing calling a new pastor. The call on your life to live as a Christian in the world has not lessened. It doesn't need to be refocused. You have an opportunity to be as powerful and as strong in this community in the midst of this transition as any other time. I'll pray for this congregation. I have. I knew, I've known Bob Mency forever and, and I've known Randy forever. You have such a great ministry here. And I hope that you'll continue to live into that every single day, knowing that it is God who calls and then it's God who sends. And God is present, not just in the 95 or the 5, but 100% of the time. And God's Spirit will speak into the midst of how it is that you live so that others might come to know him as you know him. Let's pray. Gracious God, as, as, as you said so clearly through Paul in the Bible, each of us have given, been given gifts by the grace that you give. May we search out those special gifts and live into them because they have purpose and meaning in your kingdom. And may we find great joy as a community of faith united in you, walking that road together, encouraging one another, praying for one another, lifting one another up, that in all things you would be present and the body of Christ and the family of God can be known. Lord, this we pray in your powerful name.